Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you at church this morning. I'm Michael, uh, lead pastor here at Salt Church. Uh, So welcome if you're new. Welcome if you come here every week. Um, what, a, what a fantastic week we've had uh, with Saltfest, our first Saltfest, it was fantastic. It was so good to see new faces uh, amongst us. Uh, I think this is the week we're hoping to build into in the years ahead as we keep meeting new people, inviting friends in to take their first steps, uh, meeting us uh, and first steps with Jesus. Here's some photos. Uh, hopefully you, you were able to see a bit of the kids carnival that happened yesterday. So fantastic atmosphere here with kids... Uh, engaged in different activities, uh, parents able to chillax, and scary photos as well. <laughs> Face painting, coffee, uh, sausage sandwiches, uh, a lot of lot of new faces. It was really fantastic to see. Some welcoming, some some not so much. Uh, there's some helpers, and uh, great throughout the week too. So Thursday night here, there was over 60 women at our wellness night. Uh, I think you'll see some photos coming up of that soon. Uh, they delved into some skincare products that I know nothing about. Um, but yeah, again, fantastic to see new people amongst us. Uh, and then the youth here on Friday night uh, transformed this space into a great... Uh, lots of different activities, invited their friends along. Uh, and then we finished uh, with barefoot bowls that didn't happen yesterday. Uh, ended up at a brewery uh, playing pool and eating pizza. Um, so, But it was fun. There was some new people there as well. So... Fantastic. Let's praise God. And welcome, if you're here uh, from Saltfest, uh, it's great to have you amongst us. And can I say too, if you put your shoulder to the wheel this week for Saltfest, praise God for you. Great to use the gifts we've been given uh, here at church uh, to welcome people uh, to take their first step. So I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to pray as we, we get into God's word. So let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we do thank you for that great privilege we have of welcoming people into our space, into our lives, uh, to take the first step with Jesus. Father, help us now as we focus, as we listen to what you have to say to us in your word. Lord, please help us to drink deeply as we think on the, the deep, deep mercy and kindness and grace you've shown us in Jesus. Father, please fill us with great courage as we live as your people. Uh, Help us if we're hearing these words for the first time. Uh, Help us if we're hearing these words for the hundredth time. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I'd be surprised if you didn't uh, hear about this news article uh, this week that was going on. Uh, It was a high-profile Christian who got himself into deep trouble uh, with the media. It's a guy by the name of Andrew Thorburn. Uh, He's the former CEO of the National Australia Bank. He's currently on the governing board of a a very well-known evangelical church in Melbourne uh, called City on a Hill, a church that's a lot larger than ours, but not dissimilar to ours. Uh, In fact, City on a Hill planted a church here in Wollongong. Their lead pastor's Joel. Uh, He's part of our minister's fraternal. I count him as a friend. But earlier this week, Andrew Thorburn said he had one of the best days of his entire life. Uh, He was appointed the CEO of the Essendon Football Club. 
Here's what he said. Yesterday was one of the proudest days of my life. To be offered the role of CEO of the Essendon Football Club, who I've followed since I was a boy, was a profound honour. But, you know, it was just one day later, the club gave him an ultimatum. The club said to him, you have a clear decision to make. Uh, You need to choose between your leadership at church and your leadership of this club. Uh, They discovered uh, that his church, uh, which teaches the Bible, which teaches that homosexuality is a sin, uh, which has raised um, some serious concerns about our culture's attitude to abortion, uh, they learnt these things. Even the Premier of Victoria publicly heaped abuse on Andrew, calling him bigoted and intolerant. And so here's what Andrew said. He said... They made it clear to me that my Christian faith and my association with the church are unacceptable in our culture if you wish to hold a leadership position in society. And so he was faced with a choice and he decided to stick with his church. He decided to stick with Jesus. Now that is an incredibly gutsy move. It's an incredibly public move. Uh, There he is, he's given up a dream job. Uh, He could have quite easily, couldn't he, quietly actually said, I'm going to stick with this job and people don't need to know about my church and kind of distance himself from Jesus, maybe deny some of of his beliefs. And you can imagine the pressure being intense. Uh, You can imagine the temptation being incredibly strong uh, not to stand up for Jesus at this point. But he, he, he chose Jesus, he stands with Jesus and it's really cost him. And, and even, as I said, the Premier has, has vilified him. Uh, he's, he's, he's definitely hated by the, the social elites uh, of Victoria, if not the country. And so, yeah, do pray for Andrew and his family. Uh, pray for City on a Hill. And I reckon pray, pray for them that they'd know the peace and the comfort that Jesus spoke about. Here, here's a verse from Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. I think that's where it's at, isn't it? For him and his family, for everyone who stands up for Jesus. Uh, It's also what Jesus said when he said, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Stick, Stick with me, there's peace with me, even if there's trouble in the world. And so our passage this morning, I reckon, has something really significant to say about this whole topic of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, but before, before we get there, I, wanna, I just want to spend a few more minutes on this because I reckon it's a, it's a great challenge for us, isn't it? As you think about what's happened for Andrew Thorburn this week, here's the most obvious challenge, isn't it? Are you prepared to stick with Jesus at the moment when you're called to? Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what that will look like for you. But that's the question, isn't it? Will you stick with Jesus? When you get asked to choose between Jesus and something else or someone else, that's the moment, isn't it? Are you going to stick with Jesus? Are you convinced that actually it's even worth it, even if you're insulted, even if you're treated poorly or persecuted, if I can use that word, even if you lose your job, are you okay to stick with Jesus? Do you treasure Jesus? Do you treasure, do you really believe that that is more blessed, that there is a heavenly reward there? Now, there's lots of other things to say. Let me just say quickly, I reckon it's, 
it's one of those moments, isn't it, where you realise things are changing in our community and they've been changing for a while, uh, that we, we've got to be prepared to face a clash of values, as Andrew did, that what our world values is very different to our, our values. I reckon we've got to be prepared to have our values grossly misunderstood. See, there is Andrew who, who doesn't hate homosexual people. His church doesn't. They, they welcome them. Uh, we live in a world where if you disagree, then you're a hater. And you, you, you're going to need to live with that. That's the way people will see you. That if you stand with Jesus and his sexual ethics, uh, that means that you hate people with a different sex, sexual ethic or a different lifestyle or a different point of view, which is not true. It's not the way Jesus treated people. It's not the way we treat people. It's not the way we should treat people. And it's kind of that movement, isn't it, of... And you'd notice this if you're a little bit older. Um, if you're younger, maybe you're used to this, but if you're older, maybe we used to be the good guys in, in community life and now we're the bad guys. Now we're the guys that some people really hate and we've got to get used to that as well. And there's also massive hypocrisy, isn't there? Here is the Essendon Club who says... They're kind of taking the high moral ground, aren't they? They're saying, we, we want to be the safe, inclusive, diverse, welcoming club for everyone. And yet, they are excluding Andrew and they're excluding other people who believe in biblical Christianity. I reckon other people who, from many other faiths and perhaps no faith at all, who just have a different view. And I don't know Andrew Thorburn personally, but I reckon if he's a serious follower of Jesus, which it sounds like he is, I reckon he'd make an excellent CEO of Essendon. Because what do you want for the CEO of Essendon? You want someone who's passionate about Essendon I think that's a possibility. I don't get into AFL. Um, you need to be a good manager. You need to be a good leader and all that kind of stuff. But you need to be able to welcome people from all walks of life. And isn't that what Christians do? Christians are actually used to doing this. We, we welcome people from everywhere to come and hear about Jesus. We welcome people to something much, much bigger than a football club. And I reckon he could have done that really well. There's a bigger culture war going on here, isn't there? There's so much more to say, but... Let me finish with this last little point about job security. There was people concerned this week about Christians and job security. Here's what Murray Campbell said. He's a well-known pastor in Victoria. He said, Christian worker in Victoria, if you haven't already resigned yourself to the likelihood of facing discrimination, dislike and bullying, get ready. If you're still living that nice life of naivety, Believing that hard work and loyalty and integrity should be enough to protect you, think again. If they crucified Jesus, how on earth do we think that we'll be given a parachute? And this is a little bit of a wake-up call, isn't it? We don't want to be alarmist, but we don't want to be naive. There's some realities here. And our passage this morning is all about what it means to be a Christian. How we became Christians, what does it mean to live as a Christian in this world? Here it is in one sentence. You're saved, you became a Christian. You're saved not by the righteous things you've done, but because of God's mercy, God's sheer kindness and mercy. That's in verse 5 of the the passage that was read out to us in Titus chapter 3. So have that open in front of us. I reckon this morning you'll be able to work out very clearly where you stand with Jesus. You'll be able to work out very clearly if you're a Christian. And then I want to give you some steps moving forward, depending on what your answer is. So open up Titus chapter 3, verse 3. We're going to look at... Sorry. um, 
There we go. So Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Three things. What you were, what you've left behind, how you become a Christian, how now to live as a Christian. That's where we're heading. So look at verse 3. There's some real um, starting points here. Verse 3 of chapter 3. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So what's the context? Paul's writing to Titus. He's in Crete. That's a beautiful island off Greece. Uh, If you've ever been around the Mediterranean, I understand it's a very, very picturesque place. And Paul's already said in Titus chapter 1 that what are the people like on this island... They're famous for dishonesty, they're famous for laziness and corruption. What a, what a, that's kind of, a, <laughs> I don't know what you make of that culture. Um, maybe that's the Australian culture. <laughs> um, but, it, but here he's saying, actually, that's not just them, that's all of us. Here's a description of all of us in verse 3, uh, what we used to be like, what, it, what it's just like to be human. And I don't know what your reaction is as you look at verse 3. Do you get a little bit offended? You go, oh, hang on a minute, I I wasn't that bad, was I? And he's saying, no, no, these are the things that you were, that I was. If you're a Christian, these are the things that you've left behind. You used to be, but now you are not. And it could be that you've just forgotten what it was like to live as a person who doesn't follow Jesus. It's, it's that long ago. Uh, or maybe you had the blessing of growing up in, you know, and you became a follower of Jesus very young in your life. Uh, or maybe you are so busy in being involved in that life, you just thought it was normal. Uh, but verse 3, it, it actually goes on, doesn't it? At one time, you too were foolish. There, sorry, there's where it starts. Foolishness is not recognising God as God. Uh, that's the very diff- definition of a fool. There's the biggest possible mistake you could make in life, not recognising who God is. You can, make, you can afford to make lots of mistakes in life, but you can't afford to make that mistake. Now, I haven't met very many famous people in my life, uh, but I do remember uh, quite a few years ago, one Saturday afternoon in Sydney, I was at a wedding reception. I was on the grounds of this uh, historic building, uh, a few suburbs away from Homebush, the rugby was on that night in, in Homebush. In another part of the grounds, there was another marquee set up with, a, with a, quite a, a function going on. Well-dressed people, lots of sponsors, lots of people chatting. And I got chatting with the guy that seemed to be running the night for some reason. He told me he was promoting the Wallabies. He told me he's a great supporter. Uh, we had a great chat. And I walked away and I thought to myself, that guy looks familiar. <laughs> And uh, I realised that it was Lachlan Murdoch. <laughs> it was actually the son of the media mogul, Rupert Murdoch. And, and I just felt like an idiot. I hadn't recognised him. I don't know what he thought. But that just pales into insignificance, doesn't it? Imagine not recognising the God of the universe and turning up on the last day. I, I didn't know you and you don't know me. And Paul says, that's what you were like before you came to Jesus. Foolish, not recognising God as God. And at one time he says, 
We were also disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Maybe you've not realised that's where you've come from, but that's the description before you became a Christian. It is true, isn't it? We don't always uh, think about this thing, but when you don't recognise God, the, the, the good things in life, some of the passions, the pleasures which are gifts from God, so easily become the things that we live for. They enslave us. Um, so two weeks ago, I was watching the UCI Road Cycling Championships here in Wollongong. I was actually in the Harp Hotel, catching up with a bunch of guys who, who wouldn't call... I don't normally hang out at the Harp Hotel. Um, catching up with a group of guys who wouldn't normally say they're Christian. Or don't say they're Christian. Uh, you know, men in Lycra um, with, uh, with expensive bikes, drinking beer... Uh, most of them really, really nice guys. And I, th- I, was th- I was actually thinking about this passage and I was thinking, hey, is, is this what I've been saved for? A lot of this is good, isn't it? Mateship, uh, the gift of beer. Um, <laughs> uh, there's lots of things at that pub that I'm saved for. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And the more the evening went on, the more I saw that. But then it clicked to me all is not right with these guys, as nice as they are. One guy was telling me how much he'd paid for his bike. Uh, he'd paid $20,000 for his bike, uh, and he didn't think that was a big deal. But they'd set up racks in the pub because they knew that these people were coming, um, and no one wants to leave that kind of bike in the street. Um, but the conversation got really serious with him when he told me that, oh, you know, I, I don't I drive a very expensive car, but if if someone touches that bike, look out. And so I just took a little bit of an extra step away from the bike. <laughs> but actually, and I thought to myself, he's, he's told me he's owned a bike, but actually I reckon cycling owns him big time. He lives for it. It's his goal. I reckon that's what Paul's saying here. Before you came to Jesus, you just lived for other things. You were pleasure slaves. Uh, And if there's no God, then what else is there to live for? You end up living for the good things that God's made in the world, but they're not God. And to top it off, look at verse 3 again. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's, It's a terrible place to be. And that's the place we were rescued out of. That's the place that we've been, that we were, and now we've left behind. That's the place we've been rescued from, we've been saved from. And we've been rescued by a rescuer like no other. A rescuer that actually has the goods to rescue us. Paul says here, we've been saved. We've been saved from this life. We've, we've been delivered. Look at verse, uh, verses 4 and 5, they're classic verses that explain the nutshell, the good news of Jesus. It's God who saves Salvation doesn't come from within. You won't find it there. It actually comes as you look to God. So look, look down at verse, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. They're beautiful verses, aren't they? Saved not because of how good you are, but because of God's sheer kindness Not because of how good you are, but because of actually how much help you need. You need to be rescued. Notice what it says, when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, 
Jesus came. Jesus appeared. Jesus came to save us. It's the very reason that Jesus came. Verse 5, not because of righteous things we've done, but because of of that beautiful thing, God's mercy. He saved us. We don't have to pay for it. We don't have to scratch together every possible good deed in our life. Here is the best possible gift in the whole world. The kindness of God has been given to us. God is giving us what we don't deserve. God is giving us his mercy. He's actually not giving us what we do deserve. And notice it goes on. It says, he washes us. He cleanses us by his spirit. He makes us a new person. He gives us rebirth, it says. We have have a whole new start to life. We've actually, look at it, it says we've become heirs of the hope of eternal life. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got this massive inheritance waiting for you in eternal life. Your your dad's the boss. You are going to inherit this enormous gift. Uh, Look at verse 7. You've been justified. You've been declared right with God. The judges said, you are innocent, even though you're guilty. All because of the kindness and the grace of God. Having your sins forgiven through the death of Jesus on the cross, you are now an heir of the hope of eternal life. That's what draws your life forward as you wait for that great inheritance. And you know, you can live to be the oldest person in Australia. And uh, I, I found out this week who that is. It's a guy by the name of Frank Moore. He actually lives on the south coast uh, here in New South Wales. He's, two months ago, he turned 110. Uh, he's actually been retired for 45 years. <laughs> um, so if you're a retiree, you could have a long time to go. Uh, he, he lost his wife um, 10 years ago. He'd been married to her for 70 years. Six children, 13 grandchildren, 24 great-grandchildren. Uh, he spent his, the paper said he spent his birthday weekend with family and friends both in person and over Zoom. So he still does Zoom. And it's just amazing, it's 110, look at this guy, and he, on and on and on his life goes. It's like, that must feel like eternal life at some point sometimes. But uh, even though he's the oldest person in Australia, death will finally catch up with him because death must catch up with everyone. You can't live here, at least on this earth, forever. And Paul says, you know, Christians are driven by a hope beyond the grave. Uh, he's already talked about it in the previous chapter. Uh, we have a faith and a hope, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2. We have a faith and, and a knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life. That's what's coming. Uh, we are the people who say death is not the end. Jesus has conquered death. There is a hope beyond the grave. Uh, because Jesus conquered death, those in him, those who trust in him will also conquer death. Uh, death didn't defeat Jesus, Jesus defeated death, and so we live with great hope for eternal life, which is incredibly uh, countercultural, isn't it? We live in a, in a culture, we live in a world where we're desperate, people are desperate for hope. There's a lot of false hope, there's a lot of hopelessness, and here we are with a solid hope, a sure hope of eternal life in Jesus. And 
It's all because of one man, isn't it? All because of Jesus, all because of his death, all, all because of his resurrection, all because of trust in him, all because of his kindness and mercy to us, we have this new hope. And that has to have a massive difference to the way you live in this world. Uh, it, it affects the, the things that you're prepared to put up with. It affects your values. It affects your purpose. Because if in this life, this is all there is, then that makes a big difference too, doesn't it? Then take what you can, uh, suck life dry, get away with what you can, go for breaks, seize the day, because this is all there is. But if there's more, if you've been given a new start, a new birth, a new spirit, if you've been washed by the Spirit of God, that changes everything, doesn't it? You're living, there's much bigger stakes, you're living for much bigger things, you're prepared to put up with a lot more for the sake of eternity. Uh, and it also means from this, this passage that in spite of what you used to be, now you are different. And, and Paul goes on to say, now you must live like that. You must continue to live like this new life. I heard this, this story this week uh, of a guy who's... This happened quite a few years ago. I'm, I'm not sure this is a true story, but you work out whether you think it's true. Um, his little brother, who was age three, uh, was eating dinner. He sucked a pea up his nose. I don't know whether if you're a parent, you've had this experience for your child. Uh, and it got stuck up his nose so badly that it took a trip to the hospital in, in Grafton, uh, which apparently was a three-hour trip. Uh, the doctors had to stick these massive tweezers up the nose, a bit, bit of trauma going on, really, really painful. The doctor finally gets it out, he get, and he actually, the doctor gives him the pee as a souvenir. Uh, so the boy puts it in his pocket, uh, and then he travels home with his mum, blah, 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 and, and the, his brother asks him, what, what, what went on today? Where were you? What happened? And, and the boy picks out the pee out of his pocket, and he says to him, oh, what happened was, well, I was, I was sniffing this pee, and it got really close to my nose, and then all of a sudden the pee goes back up. <laughs> and it gets stuck up there, and he has to go back to the hospital, get the tweezers, blah, blah, blah. What am I trying to say? Um, <laughs> don't go back to what you did, Right? Don't go back to the mud. Don't go back. To, there's the life you had. Don't return there. Don't be, don't be going back there. Uh, verse 8 tells us what we should be doing. This is, this is part of the picture, part of the trustworthy saying. Um, those who trusted in God are to be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Uh, it's, it's actually... It, it's what he's been saying again in Titus. It's not just in this chapter. So verse 14 in chapter 2. Uh, what, what kind of people has God saved? What has he saved them for? A people eager to do what is good is what it, the way he puts it in chapter 2. Here it's devote yourselves to doing what is good. You, you're to be the kind of people that are busting to do the right thing in God's eyes. Um, that's a massive change that's happened, isn't it? Uh, you used to ignore God, you used to live life your own way. Now you are busting to do what is good in the sight of God. Here's, here's the way Andrew Thorburn puts it. He says, since coming to faith in, in Jesus 20 years ago, I've seen profound change in my life. 
And I believe God has made me a better husband, a better father and friend. He's also helped me to become a better leader. And you go, that's exactly what knowing Jesus is about, isn't it? You're a completely different person. And Paul says it again here at the end of the chapter, in verse 14, he sums it all up. He says, you know, you're part of this people in, in Crete who even their own poets say they're lazy. You're going to be different. And he, and he wants us to hear it as well. Uh, look at verse 14. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they might provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. It's really simple, isn't it? Be devoted to doing good. You've got one thing to do. Devote yourself to being good. That's simple. Work it out. What does it look like for you in the eyes of God to do good? And so what does that mean for us as disciples of Jesus? What does that mean when you're feeling ridiculed, when you're feeling discriminated against? You need to work out how am I going to devote myself in this situation to doing good? What do, you, what do you do when you're mistreated? You need to continue to do good. Uh, what do you do when everyone else is behaving badly? What are, you, what are you doing? You are continuing to do good. And you might lose your job, you might be unpopular, you might be called all kinds of names, but continue to devote yourself to doing good. I reckon that's uh, what City on a Hill have been trying to do this week. Um, that's what every church needs to do, isn't it? That's what every Christian needs to do, to honour God, to hold out the gospel of Jesus, of life and love in him, to do it with gentleness and respect, to fear God, not fear people, uh, not, not to, not to rea- react in anger, not to strike back, not to retaliate, uh, not to cry, you know, you're the victim. Uh, it's, it's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. There's, there's, it's massively countercultural, isn't it? But here's the thing. I reckon this is likely to get harder and harder. And as I said before, I don't want to get alarmist, but I also don't want us to be naive. Uh, we do live in very different times, don't we? Do, we we're facing that clash of values. Uh, there are people who really, really, really do think that we are harmful and hateful. Uh, and there's massive opportunity to show love and kindness and respect in that regard, isn't there? But I reckon it's even more reason to get two things right. Two really important things here. One is that you need to really settle in your heart that Jesus is your Lord that you're going to stick with Jesus even when the temptation is to back off and deny him. You need to to really settle that in your heart. I reckon the other thing you need to settle in your heart is commit yourself to encouraging your brothers and sisters who will be finding it hard and maybe increasingly hard. Uh, You're going to need to be an encouragement to them. You're, You're going to need to keep strengthening your brothers and sisters, keep feeding on God's word yourself, keep praying uh, keep showing a better culture. And once you think about it, that's actually what church is, isn't it? That's what gathering together as Christians does. Uh, we need to get better at gathering. We need to get better at churching. Uh, 
I have to say, there's lots of encouraging things happening at Salt, but since we've come out of COVID, we're in church less than we've ever been for years. Um, now, for what we can work out in regard to this, Salt is, uh, is average, like, but we don't want to be average. So this is happening across churches, but we don't want to be like other churches in this regard. So apparently across this year, most of us have been in church 50% of the time. So some of us have been in church more than that, some of us have been less. Um, but it means, you know, we, without the shutdowns and all that kind of thing, 50% of the time we haven't turned up. So if that trend continues across 52 weeks, 26 Sundays we're here, 26 Sundays we're not here. And I reckon that's the thing that's going to make it harder to follow Jesus. And so we need to get better at gathering and we want to, want to help all of us to do that well. And let me finish up with two, two ways we, we get this kind of doing good wrong. Um, as Paul says, devote our, we're to devote ourselves to doing good, but there's mistakes that we make. And the mistakes that lots of people make on this is they want to say that the definition of a Christian is someone who does good. That a Christian is a good person. I don't know whether you've come across this before. You say you're a Christian and then, oh, you're saying you're a good person, you're saying you're a better person. And and the inference then is if you want to be a Christian, you actually need to try harder. You need to work harder. You need to to be a good person. And and you you become demoralised, don't you? Because you think, I can never get there. I can never... How am I possibly going to earn God's favour, earn eternal life? And, and you probably give up. I reckon that's the picture that a lot of Aussies have of Christianity, maybe about 90% of people. And it's a terrible mistake from this passage, isn't it? Because what we've learnt this morning is it's because of the mercy and the kindness of God that you are saved. It's not about you. You, you haven't saved yourself. You can't save yourself. He saved you. He, he appeared. He is gracious. He is kind. We are lost. We were in that, that pattern of life and then he came and rescued us, washed us. And I want to say, if you haven't grasped that yet, if that's not a reality for you yet, if you're still working these things out, really, really important to get hold of that. Uh, really important to realise it's about saying sorry to God. It's about asking God for forgiveness. It's about actually recognising Jesus has done it all at the cross. Uh, it's, it's what we're going to talk about our life course. So come along to life in two Wednesdays' time. We're going to just keep talking about this. Uh, we're going to answer questions on this uh, across five weeks. So come along to that. But here's the other mistake. If God has saved me by his mercy, then what does it matter how I live? Why do I need to live as a good person? Uh, what is... Which is really getting things wrong, isn't it? Going back to what we talked about, going back to the life that you once had is a craziness when you've been rescued out of it. Uh, You've actually been saved for a purpose to live this new life, to be devoted to to good things. That's God's goal for you. That's that's the purpose of of your life now, to be devoted with all your heart to doing what is good. And so often we get that wrong, don't we? Uh, We go back to the mud, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, Let me tell you this last story. Um, I can remember the days when you actually went to a Christian bookshop. Uh, I think we do shopping online pretty much 100% of the time now, but um, I never forget 
walking into a Christian bookshop in Sydney and thinking to myself, surely mostly Christians come to this bookstore, right? And maybe occasionally someone who's not a Christian is here, but often Christians are coming here, they're getting stuff for themselves or they're getting something for a friend. But in the, in the bookstore, I mean, you'd think they don't have a tro- pro- problem with shoplifting, right? <laughs> and in the store, they had a notice up that said, sorry for the inconvenience, but we're installing an electronic security system and we're now going to check your bag at the door. And you think, something's gone seriously wrong, isn't it? That you're searching through the books, living for Jesus, and you go, I can't really afford this book, but I'm just going to steal it. <laughs> and I'm, you need to get your bag checked at the door. It's craziness, isn't it? It really doesn't make any sense if you're a follower of Jesus. And yet, that's the nature of it, isn't it? We, we continue to struggle. We continue to stuff up. And I wonder whether there's things in your life as a disciple of Jesus, that just don't make sense anymore. What is it that is completely inconsistent with Jesus saving you? It's got to go. You can't go back to it. Paul says you've left that life behind. God has saved you. Remember the kindness, the mercy of God. He's put you on a new path. Now look up. Now see this massive inheritance in front of you, eternal life. And now that you've trusted Jesus, live like it. Devote yourself to doing good. Let's pray that we'll do that. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thanks for this massive reminder this morning of your kindness and mercy to us in Jesus. Help us to be forever grateful as we remember it is because of your kindness in Jesus, his death, his resurrection on our behalf. Our sins are dealt with. We've been forgiven. Impress that on our hearts and our minds. Father, move us forward to do what is good. Uh, Whether we're in great circumstances or whether we're finding it really tough to be a follower of Jesus, help us to be devoted to what is good in your sight. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.